0: Uh, last time I ministered, I kind of started, a, actually, this whole month of uh, December, we have been talking about a theme called the hope of Christmas. We've been talking about hope. You know, we talk about faith a lot, but hope is, uh, you cannot have faith without hope. So hope is, I, my definition, is a joyful confident expectation of something good. That's hope. And so we have a hope that began to be birthed on this earth when Jesus came on the first Christmas day. So we've been kind of looking into all of that to begin to dissect what kind of hope that we have. So when I started ministering along this line uh, the first Sunday of December, I, I begin with two particular areas where we can always have hope. And the first one is that we can have hope for eternity. Probably the most important hope that there is to know what's on the other side after you breathe your last. We talked, we, we give a graphic example uh, illustration of what hell is like people that that's their destination they have no hope they're in this world without God and they have no hope but you and I have hope because on the other side thank God on the other side is glories that we have even not uh, there's no way that our human mind probably can comprehend it just this week, I, I've been listening to a couple of people that made the trip to heaven and, and came back. And, oh, my goodness. You know, they, 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 it was hard for them to describe what heaven was like. It was so glorious. So we really, you know, eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard. It's not even been able to enter into the heart of those what God has prepared for all of us. Not just on this earth, but on the other side. So we have that hope. We talked about hopeless situations, how there are people that are in hopeless situations that uh, we can have hope. And I talked about casting all your cares over on the Lord, um, and I, I did a little illustration where I did a, I took my ball and I cast it behind the veil, and that's where our hope is. Our hope is in heaven and the the resources that heaven has for each and every one of us in any situation that we have, that we find ourselves in. And we can cast our cares over on the Lord. And Kim kind of picked that up last week as she talked about the hope of the rescue. So to to this morning, this is point three that the Lord gave me. So point one was eternal hope. Point two was hope in circumstances, and today is another hope that is so, so, so very important for us, and that is in Colossians 1, and we're going to look at verse 27 and 28. So, uh, I will go ahead and start it. In the King James Version, it says this, "...to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery." which is Christ within Christ okay which is Christ within and among you the hope of realizing the glory him we preach and proclaim this is the amplified i really wanted it in the king james can you switch it to the king james this is so wordy that you kind of get lost in it can you get that in the king james real quick if you can okay To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's look at 28. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, go back to verse 27 again because I want to look at that one more time. The hope that I want to talk about this morning is the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, I know you've read that. But the Holy Spirit began to show me something about this that I think is very important for us to know this time of year and all the time of year. First of all, when, when uh, uh, Christ comes on the inside of you, he doesn't just come to give you the hope of eternity. He comes for a reason to make you what God wants you to be. So first of all, I want to talk about what is the, what is the definition or the meaning of glory. We talk about glory a lot. Glory to God. Glory this, glory that. But what is glory? So I just kind of want to put it in a nutshell. For me, and the different definitions that I looked up was the manifestation of God's presence as perceived by humans. The infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. So we could say glory is described as God. His presence, His perfection, that's glory. Uh, In the Hebrew, uh, the word is uh, kabod, which means strength, power, ability, honor, magnificence, dignity, and splendor. So it's talking about this wonderful presence of God. You know, when, when Moses went up in the mountain... To meet with God. And um, he, he saw all this wonderful manifestations of God. He said, he said, I beseech you, Lord, show me your glory. It wasn't enough that he was in, in God's presence. He wanted to see the full glory of God. And God said, well, you know, I can show you my glory, but no man can actually look on my glory and live. That was in uh, the Old Testament before uh, Jesus came on the scene that said he was in you to bring you to that glory. But Moses said, I want to see your glory. And so God said, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock and then I'm going to walk by you and you can see my back parts. And I'm going to proclaim my name. And you're going to see something. And he said, I'm going to show you my goodness. So I believe his goodness and glory are one and the same. Because we keep saying God is good. He is good. That's part of his glory. I I wrote down some of the other things that he said to Moses. He said uh, he was gracious. He, was, had, he had abundant loving kindness. He was slow to anger. He had an abundance of truth and mercy. So this is the kind of God we serve. This is, this is a demonstration of God's glory. Now, God, when He, uh, when he formed Adam and Eve and created them, he created them with a glory covering because He said, we're going, to make God, we're going to make man in our image. Well, when He made Adam and Eve, they were glorious beings. They were so covered with glory, they didn't even know they were naked. And they were enjoying. They were enjoying so much the glory of God in their lives, the glory of God all around them, God coming in to, to talk with them in the, uh, in the evening, and uh, they experienced His presence and His glory then. And it was a glorious exist- existence until sin came in. And when sin came in, the glory departed from mankind. And then they knew that they were naked. And you know that fear entered in. And then from then on, mankind and the creation of mankind went downhill. Because there was no glory. There was no glory left. Now in uh, Psalms 8, I just want to read this because I, I don't know who's speaking. I mean, I think it may be David talking about it. But he was in the probably the position of a prophet at this time he was getting he was seeing something in the spirit but uh, he began to talk this way "O oh lord our lord how excellent ma- majestic and glorious is your name in all the earth and then he goes on uh to praise the lord and then he goes to verse four what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of earth-born man, that you care for him. Yet you have made him but a little lower than God or heavenly beings, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. And you've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet. Then he begins to talk about the sheep, the oxen, and the birds, of the air, etc. They're, they're under dominion of man. And then verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent, majestic, and glorious is your name in all the earth. So if this is an angel talking as he's watching creation, he said, what is this man thing? What is this man thing that you crowned this man with glory? He saw this glory on mankind. So then when sin came, the glory departed And man became subject to the demonic forces of this earth. And we can't say that man was very glorious. But the Bible tells us that Jesus came in order to bring many sons into glory. When Jesus came on this earth, one of his purpose was to restore mankind's glory once again. That you and I would be representatives of heaven with a glorious life. That was one of his purposes. So when Jesus came, there was a hope. A hope that Christ in us is the hope of glory. When you say hope, it's like the potential of glory. Christ in us, the potential for all the glory that God intended for Adam and Eve to have and to carry on for generations, but they didn't. But now we can, because we have a hope of glory. I I, uh, wrote this down. I borrowed this from Brother Hagin. From the beginning, God intended for mankind to share his glory, to rule and reign, not to grow through life trudging through the heat and cold on barely get along street next to Grumble Alley. That's what Brother Hagen always said. He says, That's not God's plan, to live on barely get along street next to Grumble Alley. That's, that's not God's plan. And so he sent Jesus. To help us, because according to Romans 3:23, it says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Have y'all has any here in this place ever sinned? You don't have to raise your hand. Thank you. We know you have, okay. Uh, every one of us have sinned and we came short of the glory of God. And so we lack something important that God wants for us to have. He wants us to have His glory. So uh, I want you to put up uh, Colossians 1, 27 and 28 in the Passion. I just want to uh, read this. This is a l- goes into a little bit more detail. Living within you is the Christ Who floods you with the expectation of glory? This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure (coughs) treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for his people, and God wants everyone to know it. There is a treasure chest of glory available to us. Christ is our message. We preach to awaken hearts and bring every person into the full understanding of truth. It has become my inspiration and my passion in ministry to labor with a tireless intensity with his power flowing through me to present to every believer the revelation of being his perfect one in Jesus Christ. So when we use that word perfect, it seems kind of daunting Perfect in Jesus. Is that what we're supposed to be? So I want us to just delve into the process this morning. The process that God has placed available to us to become this glorious creature that God wants us to be. So I want to look at uh, 2 Corinthians 3. We're going to start with verse 16 in the Amplified 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 16, it says, For whenever a person turns in repentance to the Lord, the veil is stripped off and taken away. And I won't go back to reference what that's talking about, the veil, but it's talking about actually Moses when he come back from visiting with God. His face shone so brightly they had to put a veil over his face to cover up the glory. And so here it says, when you turn in repentance to the Lord, the veil is stripped off and taken away and now the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, emancipation from bondage and freedom. First of all, God wants us to be unbound. He does not want us to be bound by anything. He wants us to walk in freedom. And this is the way it's going to happen. Now, this is the process, verse 18. And all of us with unveiled faces, because we continued to behold in the Word of God as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever increasing splendor from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we're going to get three things out of this scripture that has to do with the process that God has made available to us the hope of glory the expectation of glory. Number one Glory comes in stages and changes. You know, I heard the Lord say this as I was studying. He said, there are many people in my bo- the body of Christ that are so frustrated because they seem to go around the mountain time after time after time and do the same thing over and over and over and make the same mistakes. But he said this to me. He said they are trying to do something instead of trying to become something. I just want to pause for emphasis on that. They're trying to do something instead of becoming something. Because what God is saying here through Paul is that glory comes in stages and changes as you are changed. Secondly, you can't do it without the Word of God. If you think that you can become glorious by pulling up your bootstraps and setting your will and saying, I'll never do that again, you know what? I haven't seen that work yet. You cannot do it without the Word of God. Period. I would just love to get that through everybody's head. You can't do it without the Word of God. You have got to look into the Word of God. And number three, you can't do it without the help of the Holy Spirit. It is a supernatural work that takes place in your heart. There, it. He has. God has given us a mirror. Now I brought my handy little mirror. This is handy because one side of it is regular, just kind of shows it like it is, and this side amplified amplifies the way it is. But you know, I. Har- I have never, to this day, got up out of bed and I was going to have to go someplace that I did not look into the mirror. Now why was I looking into the mirror? To see if I'm still me? Yeah, there I am, okay. No. What I look into the mirror for is to see what needs to be changed. And I see, oh, my goodness, I look like alfalfa with my hair. I think that needs to be changed. And then sometimes I'll look into the mirror and I'll think, man, what are those colors up there? That's not what I signed up for. Um, and, and this is getting shaggy, and, and I think, I need fixed. Fixed. So what do I do when I see that I need my hair fixed? I make an appointment with someone that knows how to fix it. I have an appointment tomorrow to take care of some of the stuff that I really don't like showing. The colors and so on. I can't fix it myself. Now, some of you out there probably have tried. But I can't fix it myself. I need help. I need a professional fixer. So what is the purpose of me looking in the mirror? I look in the mirror to see what needs to be changed and fixed in my life. And then I go to the fixer. And this is the process that Paul is talking about that process of change. And sometimes we look in the mirror of the Word and we get discouraged because we're not living up to what the Word says. And so we begin to hate ourselves. We begin to get frustrated and depressed. Why is that? It's because you don't go to the fixer. I promise you... If God says that you're supposed to do something and you don't feel like you have the ability to do it, He has the ability to do it in you because He is the hope of glory. You are not the hope of your glory. Yeah, you need to be obedient. And you know what you need to do also? You need to want it so bad that you will be willing to change. That's all that's required out of you. And go to the fixer. And then it says, we're going to be transformed or transfigured into something wonderful. Now, this is what it is. His very own image. Isn't that what we've been talking about? We started out as, in man, as mankind with the image of God. We were made in the image of God, and we lost it. We sinned and came short of that glory, and now if we start looking into the mirror of the Word of God, we are changed back into the very image of God. Is that possible? Yes. That's God's goal. For us, there's a lie floating around. This is the lie. We are all just broken people. Well, the truth is, we all have been broken. But we don't have to stay there. And I heard somebody say that on television the other day. And I said, well, you may be broken, but I'm not broken anymore. I am not broken. I was broken, very broken, many years ago. I was not raised in the kind of discipline that uh, a person needs to be raised with to have a good self image and and, uh, know how to cope with life as they get older and to function well in relationships. I was easily hurt, easily depressed, easily offended. And that's not a very good way to live. I was broken. And life became more and more miserable for me. Especially after I grew and, and, and was married and, and started having children and all of this Um, uh, the demands of relationship begin to take a toll on me. And I didn't know how to fix it. You know, I thought if I could fix the other person, then it would fix me. And so I tried to fix the other person, and they resisted. For some reason, I couldn't get it across to them. They needed fixed. And so, things got worse. I got to a point where uh, I actually uh, felt like I was losing my mind. And then after got, we got in the ministry, it began to come to a head. And one day, I, uh, I was praying And I I realized, you know, I hear people say, oh, you know, they'll spew out all this poison about somebody else, and they'll say, but I just walked in love. And I thought, I don't think so. And then I would, you know, I would grit my teeth and not say what I wanted to say sometimes. And and my husband would say, well, it would just help if you walked in love. And I thought, I am walking in love. I'm not chewing you out. I mean, I didn't say that to him, but I thought it. I'm not chewing you out. I'm not saying what I want to say. I'm not spilling my brains all over you. And that's when I realized we in the body of Christ do not know what love was all about. Because you see, uh, the Bible tells us that perfect love casts out fear. And this is where I was at. I had the fear of rejection. I had fear of people, I was a people pleaser, I had fear of death, I had fear of uh, failure, I had all these fears that were just gripping me. But the Bible says perfect love casts out fear, and I knew that there's only one source of perfect love, because that talks about that in First John, the fourth chapter, it talks about God is love. So if we're going to be in the very image of God, you know what we're going to display? Outwardly, it's going to be love. We're going to be... If we're going to be like Jesus, and if we're going to be perfected, there is one way to get there, and that is perfect the love that's on the inside of us. And I saw when I was going through my journey... I saw that Romans 5, 5 says the love of God has been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. So I can't, I don't have an excuse that I don't have the love of God. I don't have what it takes. I do have what it takes. And you all have seen me use this example, but I'm going to use it again. We have been plumbed with love. It's there. We could turn it on or we can... Leave it shut off. And I began to study the love of God. And I saw that love is giving and forgiving. A big part of love is forgiving those that come into your life that hurt you. And that was where I was at. I was so hurt all the time. People didn't treat me right. I mean, it was all about me. And the Holy Spirit said to me while I was studying this, your problem is you don't know the opposite of love. So I had thought, well, the opposite of love, of course, is hate. But that's not what it is. And the Holy Spirit showed me that God's kind of love is God so loved the world that he gave. He so loved the world that he gave and so the opposite of that would be taking or selfishness. And that's when it started to solidify in my life. And I thought, oh my goodness, I am selfish. But I said, Lord, if, you would, if, if selfishness is the opposite of love, then uh, show me what selfishness looks like. So he, he led me to go to First Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, which is a de- description of what the God kind of love is. Love is patient, love is kind, etc., etc. And so I took that and I, I turned backwards all of the words that it said love was to find the picture of selfishness. Do we have that that we can flash up there on the screen? Because I want to read to you. Oh, whoops. I hope you do because you didn't give me my papers back. Mm. Okay, I can't read it back there, but I can read it here. Okay, a person who is selfish, is irritable and grouchy, impatient and unkind, has bad moods. So this is your mirror this morning, okay? You're looking into the mirror. You're going to see what needs to be fixed is irritable and grouchy, impatient and unkind, has bad moods, is envious and possessive, jealous and indifferent to the needs of others, is withdrawn and arrogant, exalts self, thinks he slash she is better than others, has to always be right, is defensive when challenged, is rude and flares up easily, always insists on his own rights and his own way, thinks only of his own needs and wants, and demands that they be met. Is easily upset and hurt, frets when circumstances are not right, always, uh, re, uh, always allows excuse me resentment to remain in his heart, keeps count of a suffered wrong. And nourishes them, takes secret satisfaction when misfortune comes to the disobedient and says it serves them right. Is skeptical when right and truth prevails, says it won't last. Can't cope with life's ups and downs. Believes every bad thing he hears about others. Assigns the worst motives to others instead of believing the best. Majors on the faults of others. Acts and reacts as circumstances dictates. Selfishness never wins. It always fails. This is a description of what we now call a narcissist. So I have a how to identify a narcissist, I think. Do we have that? Okay, here we go. And I have put in parentheses here, We are all born uh, narcissists. Have you ever seen a baby, a young child that only thinks about you and your needs? Paul kind of calls childishness, selfishness, childishness. So, here's how you identify a narcissist. Everything will revolve around this person It will be all about their needs, their wants, their life. Nothing will ever be their fault. Even with evidence to the contrary, it is still never their fault. They neglect you, take you for granted, and never make you feel important or valuable. Selfish is an understatement when you're dealing with them. They lack empathy and compassion, and the only feelings they care about is their own. Everyone around them are objects to be used for their own gratification or needs. Narcissists don't want honest relationships. They want cheerleaders. They want people who always tell them they are right. They want blind loyalty and unconditional acceptance no matter what they do. As long as you don't question anything they do, or think they are wrong on anything, they may leave you alone. But watch out if you disagree with them or go against them in any way. In their eyes, this is the deepest betrayal and it never goes unpunished. Narcissists are spiteful and vindictive. This is a picture of how we probably all started out. And the truth is, if we were not disciplined properly as children, we grow up with these traits still in our lives. So, when I begin to understand that this is the problem, probably the problem with all mankind, we're selfish. How do we get unselfish? So we go through this process, and this is the process I went through. And I want to encourage you To do the same thing I did. I went to Philippians 1. Verses 9 through 11. And this is a prayer. That Paul prayed for the Philippians. And I began to pray this over myself. And I said that I prayed it. I would pray it this way. Lord, I pray that your love will abound yet more and more and extend to its fullest development in me, in knowledge and all keen insight, that your love may display itself in greater depth of acquaintance and more comprehensive discernment. This is the Amplified Bible, of course. So that I may learn to sense what is vital and approve and prize what is excellent and of real value Recognizing the highest and the best and distinguishing the moral differences, that I may be untainted and pure and unerring and blameless, so that my heart, with, with my heart sincere and certain and unsullied, that I may approach the day of Jesus Christ, not stumbling or causing others to stumble, that I may abound in and be filled with the fruits of righteousness, of right standing with God and right doing, which comes through Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, to the honor and praise that his glory may be both manifested and recognized in me. And you know what? I can tell you to do that. And you can do it because I told you to. And you're not going to get very many results. You must do it because you want this so bad that you're willing to go to the great physician to do what needs to be done in your life to create this glory on the inside of you. I have to tell you that as I begin to do that, wanting it more than anything in the world, I wanted that love in me so much that my will was set, my heart was set. I wanted it, I wanted it, I wanted it. I wanted to change. And I begin to sense find something going on on the inside of me I would find myself loving people that were unlovable I would find myself making allowances for people who offended me and there was times I had to on purpose turn on my faucet to forgive but a lot of times I would just have compassion for people I haven't got it perfected, listen, let me tell you that. But I have experienced the change. And it's from glory to glory. To glory to glory to glory. Until you become glorious, like Jesus said in, in John 17:1, He says, Lord, glorify me. So that I can glorify you. That was his whole purpose. That should be our purpose. Why do we want to be glorified? Just so life will be easy for us. And it does get easier. The more you walk in love, the easier it gets. But why do we do that? The same reason Jesus said. And then in in John 17, 4, Jesus said, I have glorified you down here on this earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. I'm going to tell you, the devil's going to try to sidetrack you. He's going to try to get you off your game. He's going to try to get you to go a different direction than God has purposed for you to do. But as long as you walk in love, love to God and love to others, you will not get off the path that God has for you. You will accomplish what God placed you on this earth to do. And so I'm going to close this morning with Philippians, uh, the second chapter. Verse 12. This is so good. Therefore, my dear ones, as you have always obeyed my suggestions, so now, not only with the enthusiasm you would show in my presence, but much more because I am absent. Work out, cultivate, carry out to the goal, and fully complete your own salvation, your own development that process with fear with uh, reverence and awe and trembling self distrust that is with serious caution tenderness of conscience watchfulness against temptation timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ but it's not in your own strength for it is God Christ in you, who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing, creating in you the power and the desire both to will and to work for His good pleasure, satisfaction, and delight. So do all things without grumbling and fault-finding and complaining against God and questioning and doubting among yourselves. Why? So that you may show yourself to be blameless, guileless, innocent, and uncontaminated children of God without blemish, faultless, unrebukable, in the midst of a crooked and wicked generation that is spiritually perverted and perverse, among whom you are seen as what? Bright lights, stars, or beacons shining clearly in the dark world. That's the glory. They're going to see glory in your life. Holding out to it and offering to all men the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may have something of which exultantly and to rejoice and glory in. That I did not run my race in vain or spend my labor to no purpose. The day of Christ is coming soon, people. I heard two people this week say, the two people that went to heaven and were sent back, Jesus said to them, I'm coming soon. Tell them I'm coming soon. And one of them, he said, in your lifetime. We are at the end of the age. And we are expected to have the full image of God working in us. I skipped a scripture that I I hate to scripts I hate to skip so I'm just going to quickly read it uh, in Romans 8 for whom he foreknew this is 29 Romans 8:29. he was aware and loved beforehand He also destined from the beginning the foreordaining them to be molded into the image of His Son and share inwardly His likeness. That was what was in God's heart when He sent Jesus. That there would be a people that would rise up in these last days and they would be molded into the image of Jesus Christ and share inwardly His likeness. that's what God wants for you so so my exhortation to you this morning is the process is simple it doesn't take a lot of intelligence it just takes a willingness to go through the process so what is your goal children of God what is your goal out there What is your goal? To glorify the Lord God by Him glorifying you. So how are you going to get that glory? You're going to look into the Word of God. You're going to see the love of God when you look into the Word of God. And you're going to be changed into His image. The image of God is God is love. In Him is no darkness at all. So our goal, church, our goal is to seek after that love. Stand with me. Now, I feel like there, there's two things that I feel like that I want to do this morning just as we close. And, and you don't have to come up here. Would you just leave those lights on, please? And so, please, thank you. I'm going to have the prayer team come up here. Uh, Go ahead and come up here. But uh, in closing, there are people in this place that you have struggled, struggled, and struggled because you don't feel like that you've done things right. And I want to tell you, from the Spirit of God, quit struggling and go to the source. Don't look at other people and how far they have come. Every one of us have our own journey. I don't know where you're at spiritually. You're at where you are and God loves you exactly the way you are. He loves you exactly the way you are but He loves you too much to leave you that way that way, that way, where you are. Pastor Charlie always said that. He loves you where you're at, but he loves you too much to leave you there.